everybody and welcome to That's The Issue, uh, the comic book podcast uh, that gets to know you and the issues that you love. Uh, my name is Matt Loon, um, I'm normally joined by my co-host Wes Messer but he, uh, he can't be with us tonight, uh, but I am joined by two other guests instead, um, they're here to talk about uh, the brand new comic book uh, coming out um, this week, it's uh, Void Trip uh, number one, uh, it's uh, Ryan O'Sullivan and uh, Plaid Klaus, welcome to the show guys. Hey man. Lovely to speak to you both. Uh, we did have a bit of a false start to begin with where no one could hear me, so I'm, I'm glad that I'm uh, being received loud and clear now. Um, there's nothing more embarrassing than being the only one that's uh, that's not working on your own show, so, you know, it's fine. But um, It's good to have you with us, man. Yeah, I'm good to have you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> glad, glad you could make it. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Late comer to the, uh, to the proceedings. Um, so um, let's let's talk about Void Trip number one then. Um, so um, I'll start at the very beginning with the obligatory cliche question. Um, for those that don't already know about Void Trip, um, what can you tell us about it as about the comic book? Sure. Yeah. It's uh, it's basically a, a road trip story. Your classic road trip story only takes place in space, mm-hmm. and uh, we kind of allude to the fact that they're the last two humans alive. And they're uh, they're on this psychedelic journey and basically stumbling around trying to find their way to uh, the promised land. Uh, and the story focuses on what does it mean to to be free? Uh, what does it mean to be able to live in a world that doesn't want you to be free? That doesn't that has rules and that controls you. Um, but it's also just you know a fun space epic, uh, dark humor. Uh, psychedelic ride <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like i you graciously sent uh, sent a review copy over to us um and i have to say like it is um you get that kind of dark sense of humor straight from the off really and i think they're kind of the conversation between the two main characters are what um are what really kind of engaged me with it um i don't know if um you know that was something that you uh, you both planned um, from the from the start, but the idea of like the characters kind of leading the charge rather than um, rather than the world around them really like kind of you build it from them outwards, don't you? If uh, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, definitely. I think even when we were sort of putting it together, we didn't sort of sit down and think, okay, what are the rules of our sci-fi world? What were the planets? What were the races? We sort of just had these two crazy people going on going on a journey. And built the world around them, uh, so yeah, definitely a character-driven story. And I think road trips have to be. Yeah. Um, they can't really be plot-driven. They can't really be setting-driven. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> the fact that they're like flying around the universe, and every every page they're on like a different planet. So the only place you can really call home, other than their shanty space van, is is the characters themselves. So that kind of grounds the reader. As they're being tossed around the universe, they at least have these two characters that can be familiar with the whole yeah. time. And I'm interested. I'm always interested in how these projects come about. So, like, um, who approached who with the with the two of you? Because I know that you've previously like worked together on turncoats. Um, so, like, yeah. who approached who with this idea? Like, how much of it was kind of visualized before you started working together? Uh, well, I came up with a very very sort of fetal version of it. There wasn't much to it. Just a vague idea of. Uh, I want to do a road trip story set in space mm. and I'd come up with that idea because I'd seen a sketch Klaus had done mm. that he put up online like he did these sketches and it was like a sort of space hobo looking dude with a uh, he held up a sign saying uh, what did he say again Klaus it's like once we'll sing for a spaceship or something I, like, yeah, I don't remember for... what the sign was but yeah it's you, you tell like, us two bums on the side of the road like trying to hitch a ride I was like, oh, that sounds like it could be a cool story. So then I sort of went away, came up with something, said, pitched it to Klaus. So we kind of came up with it together. I kind of came up with it. He kind of came up with it. I don't know. It depends on your perspective, I guess. But then we sort of bounced it back and forth with yeah. each other. Um, yeah, so I sort of came up with the plot, the characters, and Klaus was essentially my editor in the early days because he was like, no, change this, don't like this, don't put this in there. And I was like, okay, cool, I'll change all that stuff. He liked some stuff as well. He wasn't completely cool. Yeah, yeah no, then, the, the main, I think the only yeah. thing 
I mean, Ryan always comes with like amazing stories. So I, I tend to just kind of like flavor the world and, and like try to add little bits here and there. Sometimes I'll suggest a change in setting. But I mean, one of the things you mentioned earlier with the dark humor, that just, I, I don't know if Ryan writes that way for everyone, but when he writes for me, he gives me these wonderful uh, humorous scripts that also carry some weight. And uh, so I just like to keep adding to what he gives me. I know there was one thing early on where he tried to like write an intro scene explaining how or showing that they were the last two humans. I was like, no, let's just jump right in. You know, let's just show the world and. Uh, yeah, man. But it's character driven stories. Jump straight into the characters and what they're doing. What they're doing. Yeah, well, that was. But yeah, man, the, we, the 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 dark comedy thing is a big thing for us. It was it was in Turncoat as well yep. because we tend to cover topics that have a bit of. I mean, existential dread is a big way of putting it. I think more just that they could be downers. So the one way to make them more palatable, to write them and create them at least, is to make them mm. funny. You know, if you if you if you find the. Um, the nature of reality and realize that it is essentially meaningless the best thing to do is laugh so that's yeah i think the joker's got it all figured out yeah and, and one thing i like about it i tend to draw on a pretty cartoony style um and so when ryan had like adds a more serious tone um i think you can actually get away with making the reader feel the emotion even stronger since you've been playing around with them in a more light-hearted way um so when yeah. you kind of pull the rug out even though it's these cartoon characters by the time they're really attached to it um, it kind of has more impact. Yeah, plus there's that, there's that Scott McCloud thing where, like, uh, if you have a cartoony-looking character, that's easier to convey emotion because we can project onto it easier. Whereas if it's photorealistic, we sort of have that uncanny valley thing of where it seems almost real, so we can't project emotion onto it as that's well. That's true. That's why I, that's true. I remember with Duke, because he was such a goofy character, like, he would have the weirdest faces sometimes, but, like, you could when he got really angry, his face would just get completely contorted and like <laughs> he would just look ridiculous but it worked for the, the story so yeah it's, yeah. A, it's kind of that uh, like that kind of uh, when you watch a horror film and there's comedy elements to it and it's almost like the comedy makes the horror more horrific and the horror makes the comedy more funny kind of thing so it's almost it's almost a bit of a, a cross between the two really you know you have these kind of serious serious elements to the story and as you say like it's implied that they're the last two humans in the in the universe and that's you know, it's a bit of a, a bit of a down kind of place to potentially. You know, you could you could have a very serious yeah. drama from that, couldn't you? Really, you know, like obviously Walking Dead does it with the idea of the last of humanity. You know, whereas you guys have have chosen to kind of use that as a as a kind of jumping off point. It's kind of yeah, that's happened. But however, these guys are you know are, are enjoying the the journey, not the destination, kind of thing. I think that's uh, yeah, that kind of that that interplay works. Do you find that you guys, when it comes to those moments where you're being like kind of uh, you you're following the, the the peaks and troughs of like the the humor and stuff, do you find that you guys are in sync, or do you find that you kind of if if your script Ryan is quite serious, do you find glad that you kind of uh, Klaus, sorry, that you go kind of into the into the more cartoony elements to try and um, to try and raise that up a little bit, or do you find that you kind of I don't. I think. I think a a comic relationship is like a any other relationship. But when you find a really good one, uh, you're not really trying too hard to force anything to happen. It just kind of happens naturally. It's like uh, I don't know two chemicals that come together. There's like a third thing that ends up happening. And when I get scripts from Ryan, a lot of times I'm just the first thing I need to do is get embedded in the world myself. Like get my head around it, put my feet in the imaginary imaginary realm. Mm and uh you know walk around in it as i'm reading it and you know there's not a whole, i don't think there's a whole lot of like finagling the the scripts come pretty pretty completed like i said before all i'm doing is trying to elaborate on them so yeah. you know i might get a couple sentences uh as a description of the city and you know he uses the right words which allows me to sort of build with my imagination this whole world from uh that construction so uh, yeah no a lot of it's I, I get the emotions. I, I don't think I missed the beats. I think we're pretty in sync on that stuff. A lot. I mean, I, I can't. I can't think of a time when Ryan sent me a note where something was completely off. Sometimes there'll be uh, maybe a beat that didn't hit the way it was supposed to, and we'll talk back and forth about it. Or I'll have a different approach. And um, usually at the end of the discussion, we both either agree on one direction or come up with a completely new one. Hmm. 
yeah it's, it's kind of it, it is fascinating I, I love kind of watching that um watching that story unfold through the issue because you do have um you do have those moments where the discussion between anna and gabe gets quite existential and gets kind of um you know you you kind of verge on these these huge ideas really these huge concepts that potentially sometimes you think could could veer off into their own kind of uh, almost fill a book themselves and then you and then you you ring you rein it back in and you make it you know you make it tighter about these characters again and and you know it's um it's fascinating to kind of read through it and um like I wanted to I wanted to talk about Anna and Gabe actually as these two these two characters um I think they're um sure. I I feel I mean I, I I'm interested in your thoughts on it they feel very much like they're two sides of the same coin as characters like they're they're obviously very mm-hmm. compatible as as two people but he you know he plays the kind of the the straight man to her more freewheeling kind of innocent spirit um and like how did they how did you develop these characters as kind of windows into this world? Well, I think originally I think we had Gabe first as this um, sort of old, wizened hippie on the road. And then Anna came mm. along as a sort of... Because the whole concept, as Klaus said earlier, the, the entire premise of Boy Trip is um, how can you be free in a universe that conspires to stop you? And Anna was all about what is a sort of almost anarchist who only cares about living freely, got you know, damn the consequences. So she was this sort of force of nature. Like maybe maybe she's what Gabe would have been when he was younger, before the world broke him. And then from that you think, oh, okay, then Gabe's gonna be her mentor. You know, she's gonna learn the lesson that sometimes you have to compromise on freedom to truly live freely and you know, one, and, and that's the way your brain thinks the story might go. And then, you know, at the first possible chance, we pull the rug out from under that. Gabe's not the mentor. She's, you know, if anything, he's uh, he's following her lead because she is this sort of this this beacon of uh, of freedom. And everything else in the story seems to be really restricted. Uh, I think I answered your question. I think feel like I've gone off. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, that's. I tend to waffle in my question asking, so I'm, I start off with one thing and end up with another one. So apologies for that. <laughs> no, I think another thing that was was kind of cool as I was designing them. Um, Ryan sent some really good feedback or starting points, but you know they really did become these these really strong archetypes, as especially as the story progresses in the uh, for issues, um, and like. Like you said, the what the reader's expecting at the at the beginning is sort of this this mentor uh, relationship, but it's 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 not that at all. And they just become their own characters in a world and reacting to situations. So yeah. uh, that's again like, that's a sign of a good writer is you, you can really they're just the characters themselves are alive, which is nice. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's they. Uh, I think they they shrug off any kind of uh, box you want to put them in um, multiple times through the issue, which is interesting. Um, I think that you know the the instant reaction is that you know she's the the young kind of naive one, and then he's the the older, wiser kind of all oh, you'll learn kind of way. Yeah. But then as the issue goes on, she's the one that's um, you know, spouting all these these wise ideas, these like kind of big existential queries and he's just kind of nodding along uh, almost, it's like he's following her lead and so they, they, I do feel like they are kind of, they're almost too alike in ways, they kind of swap roles as they go oh, yeah, through the story and, and as, there's, there's, it, an as of, there's an element of him like trying to live vicariously through her as well I think, like he, yeah. he's who he used to be and he kind of misses that I think but hmm, I don't know. You got me thinking now. <laughs> it's always happens. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's 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 good. It it was interesting because I think yeah, when you read a comic like this, you want to, especially one in such a in such an alien landscape, you want to kind of latch onto things. And I think what's quite interesting about them is that they they kind of shrug off any attempt at that because I think they. I think she she they they're, they're both kind of same sides of the both two sides of the same coin in the element that i think what one wouldn't potentially work without the other i think he he kind of brings her you know grounds her a little bit and she and she pulls him along on these adventures almost yeah. um but um but yeah it, it's going to be kind of fascinating see seeing the world through them because as we said earlier like the they are very much they're very much the focus aren't they more than the world itself 
um, and the world kind of goes by their window in a way as as, as yeah, it's yeah. meant to do for sure and, and one thing about you know Anna she's definitely this sort of trickster archetype in the same way Jack Sparrow is where you could throw her into any situation and she's going to manipulate the world around her despite all circumstance and try to uh, fumble her way through it and she's going to somehow survive the chaos uh, that's being shot at her just because of her pure wit in the moment and her ability to be in the moment and I think Gabe again he enjoys being around that mania to some degree but like you know I can totally relate to this because I had um, high school friend growing up who was just completely nuts fun to be around but you're constantly in danger and, at, <laughs> and but that's part of what's enjoyable about it and so you're sort of like surfing the wave of the person's mania and just but also every once in a while popping your head up to be like you know maybe we should slow the car down from 115 <laughs> on the highway i don't know so i i think gabe uh, even though he's you know he's the older one uh, can't get too much into it because we don't want to give anything away but in later issues you find out his reason for not you know feeling like he is a mentor fully for anna and you get the sense that they're they're in this together which i i think gives their relationship an even deeper uh, unity mm. yeah absolutely and I th it's it's interesting you know how do you um as because these are the you know the the viewpoint characters um you know literally because they're the only humans so they're kind of instantly relatable to us in a way that some of the other characters aren't as as instantly so um but uh, how do you think people should um you know should view these people because i think that i i see them as kind of lovable scoundrels to begin with because they you know our, our first experience of them is they're stealing fuel from you know what is an, an adorable old man <laughs> the, the galaxy's most yeah. adorable old man yeah. um and so you know you you put them in that role of being of, of almost being the crooks um but then you know we we don't follow the the little old man on his adventures we follow these guys so you know how do you how do you find them being uh, characters to to use in that fashion uh, to to kind of show you the world around them well, they're sort of the, the old school british sitcom style characters who are kind of villains but you rooted for anyway like uh, <laughs> only fools and horses or basil faulty or black Adder or any of those sorts yeah um, i don't know enough about american sitcoms but i imagine well, i mean you, they well. could be the seinfeld yeah, characters exactly. i guess you know you love to hate them or hate yeah them yeah like you love them because you're not you're not, you're, yeah, yeah, you're not like really rooting for them to win hmm. like you're finding them entertaining and i suppose the more time you spend with them you you start to feel empathy for them but i don't think like as long as something horrifically bad doesn't happen to them and you you just see them sort of fail upwards then you it's entertaining i don't think yeah you know, I, I, just, I suppose the, the only um I didn't. We didn't create them with an idea of how we wanted people to view them. We just sort of created them, and they took over the story themselves. I think that definitely makes more sense. I think you, if you try and work it the other way, I, I think you'll probably drive yourself mad. <laughs> I want people yeah, I mean, to only, like the them. The only way I look at like um, when it comes to the market, I don't ever think who I'm writing for. I just write books that I'd like to read, mm. and I arrogantly assume that my taste is really good, so hopefully <laughs> the books will end up all right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah, and, and I can't speak for Ryan, but one thing that happens as, an, as a creator, you know, you start, when I start drawing these characters and, and acting with them and having them get into scenes and, like, perform their lines, they really do start to just take on their own life. Mm. You know, it's this weird thing when you draw that your your brain is sort of like a second behind or whatever the fraction of a time is behind your hand that's actually creating the image. And so a lot of times what people don't realize when you're conceptualizing something or drawing and sketching, you're actually watching the creation on as it's unfolding. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, if, you, if you're really in the zone, what's happening is the, the imagination is sort of performing in front of you and you're just trying to capture it a little more and more precise with each sketch. Um, and I, I think when these characters get inside your head, um, they sort of start to build their own narrative. I mean, there's obviously a story ahead in front of me that, that Ryan get, gives me, and I'm sure it's the same way when he's writing, but they, they start to just sort of make choices based on who they are previously, and then they surprise you every yeah. once in a while. So it's pretty interesting. So have you, um, have you Ryan, have you allowed yourself the freedom uh, in, the, in the narrative to kind of... Uh, to kind of let these characters lead you or have you got like a have you got a, a vision in mind of where you want the story to uh to go 
Like how how much do you plot out these uh, these books? Uh, well, that's interesting because as we've been saying, these characters do take a life of their own. So the big risk is <laughs> they're quite that they're quite strong will. I imagine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so to counter that, before I even start writing them, I sort of like heavily outline because um, mm. I think to make there's two types of writers generally: the ones that write by the seat of their pants, um, the sort of Kerouacs of the world, and then the ones who sort of outline everything meticulously. I'm much more the second camp. Because I like to make sure that I'm saying everything I want to say, that I'm not writing myself into a corner. I mean, as I go along, a lot of the time I'll disregard the outline, mm-hmm. but it's good to have it there. So I'm very much a big outline, and that's and the thing is, when you're working in a collaborative medium as well, it's useful to let sort of your collaborators know where it's going. Like I showed Klaus the outline back when we were formulating it, and he was like, "Well, do you think maybe instead of this, we could do that?" Like, for example, uh, in the original outline, as Klaus said, they were escaping a planet together, and he was like, well, wouldn't it be cool if they were just stealing fuel? And I was like, yes, that would be much cooler. <laughs> so, you work with that. <laughs> but yeah, outlines to the to the nth degree. And then when I script an issue, I actually do a beat sheet for um, like what, what happens on every page before I write it. So I've got like 1 to 22 or 1 to 24, or whatever, and just say what happens on each page so I can see if the sort of the rhythm and the flow of the story works. Hmm. I mean, one of the um, one of the themes that you talked about was this idea of freedom, or at least the the illusion of freedom, or trying to trying to find freedom in a in a very confined world. Um, and one thing yeah. I found um, was uh, kind of a wonderful um, juxtaposition was that was uh, was your art, Klaus, because it 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 opens up this world. There are so many times, like the first you know the first double page spread is is just this vast kind of landscape um and these characters are talking about being free or not being free and it, and it feels as though they're in the middle of nowhere you know on, on planet earth they couldn't be more free um and yet they're talking about they're talking on a bigger scale really about being being free from you know various uh, galaxies and various uh, like you know trans-dimensional yeah. laws and things was that something you were conscious of when you were when you were you know uh, structuring your pages yeah Absolutely. I mean, uh, there's so many things you can do subliminally with visuals uh, to just sort of set the tone. You know, with that initial opening, since it's a road trip, there's a couple factors that I wanted to straight away let the viewer in on, which one is that they're in a vast universe. So if you notice on the spread, I think 80% of the page is just Mm -hmm. open space. You know, it's to show that there's this huge horizon. And also to show that the characters are in the middle of nowhere and they're stranded. So you have all this negative space around them. But then the other thing I wanted to do is I wanted to immediately kind of call back to the, the beat generation and, you know, people being on the road. So the, the spaceships themselves look like the, the vehicles from that time period. And there's like a gas station that looks like that time period. But then in the foreground, there's a, this lizard that if you look a little closer, it has six yes, legs, yeah, and, and which obviously there aren't any of those on our planet. And the sky, yeah, and the sky is just slightly aqua, so it's, it gives the reader this impression that we're we're not quite in Kansas, but it's familiar enough that they know immediately what this story should is is kind of going to feel like, mm-hmm. what it's about. So yeah, definitely every and the thing with comics is if you have like twenty to twenty four pages. To sort of tell the story and, you know and luckily i work with a great writer ryan who who doesn't bombard the reader with tons of dialogue but there's a lot of stuff he conveys in a script to me um that i have to think about visually and break down and make sure that information still gets across to the reader so i think of myself as like carrying um maybe the the silent part of the language that's that's carrying the narrative um so there's all kinds of little things i have to consider as i'm as i'm going through his scripts and breaking down the story and I think scenes themselves, like uh, choosing an environment, uh, is actually a key part of the narrative as well. So, um, you know, one of the things we do is the first scene that sort of flips the script to show just how this crazy this place is, is when you we see Hitch at the space bar. And I wanted to make sure that it was just a, before that, it was just characters and these very silent scenes, these very empty scenes. Um, but there's one ominous note right before they get to the space bar um, where you see yeah, spoilers. I think it's already spoiled or out there. So, But you see uh, the great white who's chasing down is cut, 
cut this guy's head off. And so that's sort of the beat that turns the story to show there's a little darkness. And so we get to the space bar right after it. And not only is it, uh, is there going to be a little darkness in this world, but we see that there's this whole barrage of, of aliens from all these different places mm-hmm. in this cantina bar. So, I mean, it's, it's a little similar to what you'd see in star Wars when they, they do the same thing with, with Luke Skywalker entering the cantina. But, uh, you know, I consciously make all those decisions as, as I get the scripts and I, you do borrow and steal uh, images and, and ideas from other stories that just because you want to use what the reader is familiar with. Yeah, and, and, and some of those listers, those big like open shots of the environments, that was our way of doing like you know when you watch a road trip movie like Easy Rider and you have the montage of them just like driving down the road and it cuts yeah. and it cuts and it cuts and it's like three minutes long, and you think to yourself, how the hell can I re- replicate that feeling in comics? And I think the way we did it was just a big ass picture of the environment like there's a few others in the other issues that do the same thing because that we want to obviously you can't if you try to replicate it you just have an entire issue of them just driving around it'd be boring <laughs> but the idea is that that big open splash would give the same sort of feeling to the reader that that montage in a film would give to the, the viewer at least that was the idea when I scripted it I think yeah I think, yeah. I think yeah no it comes across yeah definitely yeah and there's that um, you know that dark humour that we talk about as well because um, you know, obviously the the villain, the the Great White, which I'll you know want to touch upon in a minute. You know that that kind of moment of of without going into too much spoilers. You know the 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 contradiction of of him, you know, talking about how how savage these humans can be while he's kind of splattered in blood himself and he's carried out this kind of heinous <laughs> act. And it's just yeah. you can't help but laugh at that moment, even though you know you understand the weight of the the threat that he poses to them. But it's just uh, that kind of that humor's there, you know, that uh, that kind of goes through it. Um, yeah, man, definitely. But I I have to say, like, I don't know if he's appeared in any um, preview pages or how aware people are um, before the issue comes out. Um, but Hitch is my new favorite character. Um, he's uh, I I instantly love him, and I I want to know I I want you to kind of. You know, in a very polite way, abandon whatever story plans you've got and just kind of dedicate the <laughs> the rest of the uh, the series to him, please. Um, but uh, what can you tell me about like about Hitch, about his kind of creation? Because he feels very much a a mix of both of your you know ideas coming together to form this kind of um, really kind of unique character. Um, Class. Yeah, this so Ryan, this is all you. Yeah, yeah, Ryan. Ryan pitched him to me as sort of like a he wants he wanted him to look like a used car salesman with some he said some kind of alien <laughs> tendrils or something, and uh, you know I I read the entire plot breakdown and there's a character arc um, that I wanted to use this sort of clever uh, visual trick to to show how much this character changes. So uh, definitely got like this little jolly kind of frumpy and you know also reading the scripts just how hitch talks yeah like he's kind of he kind of you know you know he's he's kind of this uh, aloof kind of clueless guy so i wanted to make sure his personality came across that way but i gave ended up giving him four arms and these tentacles uh for specific visual purpose that'll kind of reveal itself i think in issue four so when we finally yes. oh okay yeah get the bigger like by that time he's had his full character arc um yeah, but I can't really give away spoilers yet. You know, if we do this again at issue five, we can talk. About <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll but, revisit uh, it then after we've got yeah, uh, think, Hitch Origins. Then we'll we'll come back and talk. Yeah, Hitch, he's definitely he's been my favorite from the start too. Though he's he's my favorite character. Yeah, he just he, he's very um, he's very much the kind of the epitome of the the kind of character that. Um, you want to see in these worlds because you know the the instinct with with setting up you know huge alien landscapes is to i imagine create these kind of like really cool space aliens that uh, you know that are always assassins or or warriors or kind of you know but th- this is a guy that does look like he's just trying to keep a nine to five job down you know he's just trying to That's true. He's just yeah, trying yeah. to pay the bills and- you know and he's also he's kind of like the Jubilee character, you know, with the X Men um, when they launched the TV show. Uh, Jubilee came in without any knowledge of who the X Men were, you know, and they slowly led her through, and she understood who the X Men were by the end of it. Uh, Hitch is sort of that for the psychedelic side of with these two characters, mm-hmm. so he sort of acts as that as that catalyst for the reader to sort of experience. So he's like the everyman 
in this alien world, which is strange enough, but it's good that you, you say he comes across as like someone that, you know, you could just encounter when you're going out to buy a car or something else in this alien world. Yeah. Yeah. And it helps to set up that, you know, it, it instantly kind of shorthands this alien world. Like we talk about the, the, the space cantina for the Moss Eisley cantina from Star Wars, you know, they all look like they've got a bounty on their heads. They all look like a, they've got a cool story behind them. But what I prefer are these ones where, you know, they are, they're just, trying to get by you know it just creates this world instantly where these aliens aren't all you know super super warriors and and fighters they're they're just normal normal guys and gals just trying to trying to earn a living yeah yeah i feel like you always need that you need a mix for the contrast Mm -hmm. and that's one thing a lot of people you you get this a lot in comics sometimes where uh people forget subtlety you know and it's it's the subtlety of of one character that can contrast against like you said you know you need an everyman in order for a superhero to feel super yeah unless you're writing the invisibles then if you're writing the invincibles then all bets (laughs) yeah i mean all bets are off with that definitely yeah and what and how um how much work do you put into some of these background characters because i'm looking at in this and that's always the the curse with these cantinas because i always I find myself getting fixated on these little characters in the background and just kind of wanting to know their entire deal. Um, yeah, there's, yeah. Like a, there's like a guy walking past that kind of looks... Well, like, I, I picked up this habit in college when uh, I used to draw stone a lot and you basically when you're stone and you're drawing on a page, every little thing has meaning, every little piece <laughs> of the picture like has its own story in your head. Yeah. And I developed this technique where, you know, regardless of if I'm stoned or not, I when I'm drawing a page or an image, I, I tell myself a story while it's in motion. So I'll make up little stories for each character inside of a scene and like where they're coming from, where they're going. Uh, first of all, it helps to pass the time, but also I feel like when you give that sort of intention on the page, it gives meaning that even if the, you know, sometimes there's specific meaning for the reader to pick up and that you have to be very particular about. But if it's just, if it's just to give it general meaning so that it feels like it has intention, um, it makes the world feel lived in. And I feel like by telling yourself a story in each panel as you're drawing, it becomes a more lively world. So, I'm, you know, a lot of people say that about the scenes and it makes me really happy to hear that because that's definitely my intention behind it. Yeah, I think you definitely pick that up. You get you get that kind of vibe that, well, I mean, I want to know more about the guy that's wearing a, a crown and a, and a <laughs> king's cape is just strolling right. past yeah 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 <laughs> isn't well, there dude, a character I'll... that shows up in issue 2 that's just a background character in issue 1 Ralph well, the... well yeah no the Ralph character. so exactly yeah those characters and sometimes Ryan will pull you know a new character into it and because I already have a backstory in my head I'll, I'll just choose from a background character who mm. can serve the purpose and uh, and also you'll see that same Ralph character his species pops up in a few other issues but um, you know, it's not it's not this George Luke Lucas over plan where, you know, I've planned out every planet. Every, but it's yeah. it's definitely like you know I have little stories for each one of these characters, and I, it just helps. I think it helps give me personality. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I am tempted to call him King Ralph though. Now um, I don't know. Oh no, Ralph's a different. Oh, Ralph's a different, different one. one. Oh, I I thought you might yeah. that's dressed like a king. I was like King Ralph. No, really? no, Ralph's that. <laughs> Ralph's like the owly looking dude. Oh, that's in the him! Yeah, he's them. also awesome. He was—it was a toss-up between talking about him or the guy with the crown. But the the guy casually yeah, yeah. strolling past with a cape on would just won it for me. Yeah. So, but yeah, but that that owl dude is awesome. Does that uh, does that inspire you, Ryan, as well? When you see these, when you see some of these art, you think to yourself, right, I'm going to have to write that guy in somewhere. I'm going to have to, <laughs> I'm gonna have to write a story about around that character. Sometimes. And then it's great because then people give you credit as a writer for foreshadowing stuff. <laughs> yeah, you've been plotting Ralph's backstory for years. <laughs> we were gonna ha- well, one thing I was tempted to do was, after Ralph showed up again in issue two, was to have like an ongoing story of him in the background of like all these panels, but really yeah. subtly. Like, he'll leave his, his, like, a piece of his outfit somewhere and you, I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff in the background in um in our books and mm. i'm a big fan of the joss whedon ascended extra trope where a, back- yeah. a character that's like got a, like a a not particularly important role will become important it just feels like an organic way of, of growing the story i really I, I like that sort of stuff it makes the universe feel a bit more lived in yeah, definitely. And, and as you say earlier, you know, you've got that kind of, you've got that fluidity in, in the in the in the script to be able to kind of give that space if you need to as well. It's great. 
Um, so I want to talk about the Great White as well. Is that the is that the the title for the for the villain of the piece, um, or is that we, we never uh, name him? But you never name the, him. The nickname we've given him. Yeah. I think I, that's, you can't know some of the names like that. It's no, like, that's that's possible. what I was gonna. That's what I was gonna say. Like you know, there doesn't seem to be much to know about him, um, apart from you know he he's after them. Is there is there plans to kind of expand that, or are you are you more going for the idea of just keeping this as a vague kind of a threat that that presents itself to them? Which I think with comics, where you give so much to the reader, you know, you it's more it's more than a novel. You give them so much of the visuals as well that to engage them imaginatively is always a bit of a challenge so to have a character whose true nature is quite ambiguous deliberately so mm. was a deliberate thing to try and make the reader sort of think about why he is what he is and as the issues continue other other characters in the story have different opinions on who he might or might not be um but he is to me well at least from my perspective you know death of the author bear in mind but he is the old old testament god of the human race who uh doesn't want the last remnants of humanity existing uh, outside of his uh, providence or his dominion wow okay but he could just he could just as easily be this crazy bounty hunter that wants to get them because they're really rare species yeah. so yeah. you know who knows man he's he's definitely a weird weird guy yeah that's fascinating like the the kind of the, the two extremes that this character could be and that's and I think that's the the beautiful thing about villains I think you can learn too much about about some some villains really I think the fact that mm. you know I think the prequel films of Star Wars kind of prove that much really you know that you can yeah, kind of much. you can lose you, you can lo- defang a villain can't you really by knowing too much about them so so yeah that's brilliant. although that theory about Darth Jar Jar Binks was <laughs> that, that deepened and enriched the world <laughs> If they'd gone ahead with that, that would probably be one of the best films ever made. Just the sheer ridiculousness of it. Yeah. Oh dear. Well, um, I'm I'm curious about the the story that you that's being told, um, because I'm always I'm always looking at the. I always like the view that this that this story is just a snapshot of this of this universe. You know, it's just a glimpse of this fully realized living breathing world. Um and that we're coming in at a very specific point in the history of this, you know, universe and at the the point in time of life of these characters. Um so with that kind of thing in mind, what what made you start the story where you did? You know, what made this this point in their lives the story worth telling? Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure. It just seems, is, it, it, seems is it a good question or is it a really bad question? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question because it's made me because I haven't got an easy answer for it. So, the way road stories typically work for me is you start at point A and you end at point B, and anything before that or after that doesn't matter. All that matters is the road. Mm. So every single road trip story is going to start in what seems like uh, the middle of someone's life whilst they're still figuring stuff out. And then you'll follow them on the story whilst they figure it out. Well, theoretically, anyway. Yeah. So that that's why we started this way. You know, it's it's a case we started with Gabe knowing everything, or at least thinking he does. Anna thinking she knows everything. Us, the reader, thinking Anna knows nothing and Gabe's right. And then we play with those conventions as the story progresses. And the reason we started at, at that point was because they were sort of the, the peak of their of them being that way. Mm. Yeah. If that makes no, sense. that makes perfect sense. Yeah. They're at the perfect point in time where they they have lessons to learn and they're on the road to learning them. Yeah, yeah. or at least yeah, they're on yeah. the road. You know, whether <laughs> they learn lessons, whether they they're capable of learning, maybe they're trying to teach the universe something. Yeah, the universe maybe, yeah, maybe they're the only yeah, sane ones. <laughs> maybe they are. So we've talked about influences. We talked about the the kind of the road trip movies, the kind of beatnik culture. Is that something that has um, uh, that has inspired you in the past? Is that something that inspired you to to write this story, or have you found that this idea of a story kind of drew those influences to it in in a way? It inspired. I was reading a lot of beat gen stuff um, around the time I, mm. we started working on this. And that was my the reason I wanted to do a road trip story. Um, I mean, I think I think Klaus pretty much is a being so he's in a constant state of wanting to do road trip stories. So that was cool. <laughs> nice. Wasn't sure I was going to go down. Glad he liked it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I sort of, from having read a bunch of sort of nineteen sixties countercultural stuff, I then started reading American authors like Bukowski or 
Hunter S. Thompson, who sort of had one foot in that, but also another foot in mod like modern writing, and they seem to take the sort of uh, the laissez-faire live life for the moment of the beats and mix it in with existential dread, and that is exactly the tone that I wanted for this comic, and that's why Klaus's art is perfect for it because it is yeah it's a very cartoony style which means you can easily put humor in there but again you can have emotional moments as well because it's easy to project onto a cartoony character also he uses a lot of very heavy blacks in some of the pages and so when we want to really amp up the sort of existential dread Mm. you know the universe hates you we can do that so it's it was very very much influenced for me anyway by um like Bukowski, Hunter S. Thompson, and in the case of Great White, Cormac McCarthy, because yes, he's very yeah. much a Cormac McCarthy villain, like a force of nature without a name, just yeah, absolutely. harassing people purely for the crime of existing. Also, I mean, for me, I, I feel like there's always, like I said before, a third thing in the room when you're creating. You know, if you're really striving to create something, like, uh, you know, you're truly aiming for art, uh, I sometimes question, you know, we don't really know where the imagination comes from or what, what's happening with it. And if you look at the story, the way you talk about where it started, I think it kind of, if you look at it, it starts from s- slightly a generation before Ryan and us. So, like, we're looking into the B generation, to the hippies. You know, yeah. you, you can see the history of it, the past, which is, like, in the 60s, everyone thought it was, like, free love and everything was going to be solved. And just once the age of Aquarius came, everything was going to be perfect. And then the 70s came and the <laughs> the demons descended upon, the, you know, the planet. And we started seeing the turn where, like, uh, Manson came and the family wasn't so wonderful and, and happy-go-lucky. Um, and then it put us in this post-period where it's, like, the spiritualism got sucked out of America and we were sort of left with, okay, we're, we're in materialism now. And I think as you watch the story progress issue to issue, you see that transition from the past into the present where um, you have to get really um, uh, objective about, about the situation and where we are in life. And then we do actually, I think, cover what does that mean for the future? You know, and, and there, you'll notice more and more as the series progresses, they're surrounded by by robots and, and AI and, and this whole idea. And so we kind of dip a toe into the waters of like, what does that mean for mankind in the future? Looking back at our past, uh, the spiritual past that we've we've given ourselves to build the scaffolding to get to where we are. And then what does that mean for the future as we create new life, which are these robots? Um, what does it mean for them? So, I mean, I don't want to get too heady, but I think if you really want to get uh, get into why we started where we did and, and use the references we did I think that subconsciously that was a big part of it <laughs> when you say Ryan <laughs> yeah, reading man. Into <laughs> no everything you said was absolutely right when you like I don't <laughs> yeah, get too heady I'm yeah. Like, no. yeah no that's brilliant <laughs> yeah. and I think that's it's, it's fascinating <laughs> yeah. as well I think it's genuinely something that makes Void Trip quite a unique book because I think a lot of um, a lot of sci-fi and a lot of um a lot of fantasy takes takes place in like a post-war kind of period you know so you know obviously like lord of the rings and star wars and stuff happens after the after the battle has been has been fought and obviously echoes you know the times in which it was in which they were written um but to to find a a, a, an alien kind of or a a sci-fi world that is taking place in a world in an analog of, of a different time of our history um, is kind of a, a, a mind to be explored, really, a, mind, a, a minefield of... Um, I'm using the, the completely the wrong metaphor, but... No, uh, no, no, it's, no. Uh, it's, it's a minefield to explore, definitely. No, no, it's no, a minefield to explore, no, right, but that, like, uh, that makes it sound like it's going to explode in your face, and that, that's completely not what I was going for. <laughs> it, might, it might do, yeah. No, but I think what you're getting at is, is a good point. Like, uh, Terence McKenna always said that when history reads a, reaches a point that it can't push past or it doesn't know the path forward to, it sort of reaches back into history and then it tries to rediscover the past in order to like find a new way forward. And uh, so the example he uses that, um, you know, the the Renaissance was actually looking back into ancient Rome and trying to reestablish this sort of ideal idealized forms and this idea of like uh, plucking from the platonic realms. And then if you look at Greece, Greece was kind of looking back uh, in some ways at, at Egypt and the things that they had accomplished and like um, digging into that literature. And I think, um, but you're right. I think what this book tries to do, 
and I don't know if this was Ryan's <laughs> intention, but I'm kind of laying it on there myself, is that like we are, we are in this like post-spiritualist age where we don't believe the, the story of the Old Testament or like the story that our parents maybe have passed down to us. Like that just doesn't make sense. So, you know, the story does kind of look back to the beat generation where it's like, okay, if we're in a universe that's allegedly flourishing with life, you know, if you look at the odds, the mathematical odds, um, but we don't believe in this traditional creation stories, well, how do we go out and venture into the universe and then find our, our own meaning? And I think that's the struggle between Anna and Gabe. Anna feels like she has the meaning, she knows where to go, she knows how she's going to find the answer. And Gabe is sort of a little more red, reticent because he's yeah. he's seen maybe the the void, and he knows that there there mm. is a void looming over the whole situation. So, and I think that's yeah, like I said, not knowing where to go in the future. Like right now, we're in a time where we you know if you could you could tell another post-apocalyptic story, which I think is what every every writer seems to be doing is just like oh, it's just going to get destroyed and then rebuilt. That's like the only way that things evolve or change. I think to look at it from a different angle and say like, okay, well, why don't we venture outward into the stars? Like that could be another possible um, trajectory. And then we're just going to do the same thing. <laughs> we're going to destroy ourselves and make bad decisions. But <laughs> but it might not just be through like some crazy war and then like yeah. a new war and a new war. Fascinating. And I think that's, um, I think that's a... A, a, a wonderful place to start from you know where you're where you guys are starting from and i think you you definitely pick up all of those influences in in the in the issue you know a lot of it is implied as you guys have said like you're not you know you're not preaching you're not laying out this kind of uh you know this historical diatribe on the page you know the, at, at its essence it is just a road trip story between these two you know fun engaging characters and and obviously Hitch, who is the the main character, clearly, um, he's uh, you know he's of which it all revolves around. Um, but but knowing those influences are in there and kind of uncovering that is um, kind of enriches that for me for me personally as a as a reader. So it's um, it's very interesting. Um, but um, what uh, what about you guys? Like um, you know we've talked about the the comic itself, but what what are some of the the influences that you that you bring into your uh, into your creativity when you when you write like what a what kind of pop pop cultural touchstones do you um do you lean on generally speaking like Klaus what about you with your with your art yeah of course well, let's yeah. go Ryan, Ryan okay. you go first um, with your writing and then I'll I tend in. not to try and sound like anyone else so I try not to be influenced by anyone um, mm. especially not comic people um, because there's far too many people just doing remixes of Alan Moore or Okay, Vaughan. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, as I said, yeah, I'm influenced by novels a lot more because they tend to have a lot more ideas in uh, purely because they're so, they're, they've got so many words. So, you know, you get more, more <laughs> ideas for your book. So, yeah. um, one thing I've been reading a lot of is pessimistic literature at the moment, like Thomas Ligotti and all that sort of stuff. So, that's been influencing okay. me. Um, and the challenge is obviously how do you tell a compelling, interesting story? If you're being influenced by this idea that everything is bad, but, uh, <laughs> I don't necessarily want to tell an uplifting story, but I do want it to be entertaining. You know, comics are uh, well, Western comics at least are a you know, pop culture uh, medium. They're, they should be entertaining for people. Uh, so being entertaining and telling a story at the same time is very important. So, yeah, I think influences for me would be whatever novels I happen to be reading, and there's this the sort of things like Cormac McCarthy, Herman Melville, The Beat Gen Guys, Bukowski, Hunter S. Thompson, people that look at the world and I'm always drawn to novels that try and cut through convention, cut through uh, there needing to be a story formula, just cut through all the nonsense. Not to be subversive, not to be like, you know, you go out Morrison where everything's funky, but more just to sort of cut through and show the nature of reality, show it for what it is, Mm. Show, show it to the reader. And then not form a judgment yourself. Like, don't tell the reader what to think; just point at reality. And that is a huge, huge thing of what I like of what I want to do. So, any authors that are like that tend to be the ones yeah. that I'll draw influence from. Uh, in terms of wider pop culture, I try not to draw influence from it because there is very much in comics a zeitgeist of people who are influenced by the same TV shows, the same comic writers, the same video games, and that's all great. But I don't want to be influenced by the wider mindset of you know what is current yeah i think that's and i think it's a curse of of 
probably any medium, but yeah. you know, specifically comics, because I, you know, I know I know more about comics than the most other mediums. You know, it's it, you notice that the 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 people that are always being emulated, you know, so Kirby and Morrison and, and more, are the ones that are, you know, would would least like to be emulated in a way, almost because yeah. they're they're the ones that are blazing a trail, you know, and and I think you know jack kirby was constantly creating new new things and i think yeah. for him to to see a world now where everyone is not creating their own things they're just trying to emulate him um it would almost be the opposite of what he wants yeah. really i imagine not not personally but like it's the opposite of of his of his, his artistic ethos i suppose yeah, massively and there's that one thing that alan moore always says that whenever he notices himself using the same writing technique more than once he'll throw it out because he, he wants mm. to always progress and grow as a writer, and that's one thing I'm, I'm keen to do as well. So, so I, th- I think for me, for the art side of things, um, comics are a very layered art medium, and um, there's multiple things you have to study. You know, the first thing you always study is uh, the basics like form, uh, texture, style, and I think I got influenced a lot as a kid by some of the comics of the 90s with like Joe Matarera uh, and all these kind of like heavy line, very cartoon mashup of manga and, and realism. And then I started learning about painters like Rembrandt, um, Caravaggio, and and understanding Kiyosuro a little better and like light and shadow. And I was, I've been conflicted in trying to find the right meet balance between using heavy line and using just focusing on light and shadow and i you know finally you land somewhere that that feels comfortable and uh i you know i don't really pull from other artists a lot as far as style and, and texture nowadays um but i'm definitely always catching new story and narrative techniques that that comic artists are using out there um but i again i don't think that's like where a lot of my influence and, and imagination comes from I, I think I, I study movies a lot one of my favorite directors of all time is Stanley Kubrick and I, I think what other people don't realize with Stanley Kubrick is whenever he's telling a story he's actually telling two stories so every every film that he makes there's the the common narrative for the common man and then he's he's telling a secondary story to people who are kind of in the know he was really into a lot of different conspiracies and a lot of different uh i think i think he was in on things that that most people weren't and so he's he's having a second story that he's trying to communicate mm-hmm. to a certain group of people um and when i create things artistically there's often two narratives going on and one of them is for the general reader and then another one is a is a visual communication with uh i don't know if you want to call it like uh uh, it, it's it's sort of where art starts to to have its own like spiritual message. Yeah. So uh, part of the thing that I try to do when I tell these stories is I'm also trying to carry a second message along. You know, a good example, and and this I mean again, Stanley Kubrick's really layered. But like when Stanley Kubrick designed the monolith uh, that the apes see, what he's basically saying is like there's this postmodern thing that's drawing people from apes to humans you know and it's there it's been there all along um and then you see the monolith again on saturn drawing people even further into the stars uh and then if you research alchemy at all you'll see that the symbols he's using have a completely another layered message on top of that so without getting too much into it like i i do a lot of reading about alchemy i do a lot of reading about uh john d and some other figures and I, I try to layer that stuff in now whether or not they were really onto something it's it's hard to say person to person but like when i study that literature it gives me something and so i kind of keep that message forward yeah totally i mean it obviously doesn't make any sense to me but at the same time you know i, I love that uh, i love the, the kind yeah, of yeah, uh, yeah. the 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 influences you you're kind of pulling from is um is fascinating and i think if you're gonna if you're going to use any anything to as a as a base to to start from, I think Stanley Kubrick is a, is an amazing talent and he's always been. Uh, oh, and Jordan, yes, he's another yeah. one. If you've seen yeah, Holy yeah, Mountain, <laughs> yeah. But I think some of the problems with those, those type of creators is sometimes you go too far and you lose any sense of like communication from person to person. <clears throat> you're just like simply relaying 
whatever the imagination is giving you so i try to stay away from that <laughs> not far to, to fall too far down the rabbit hole basically <laughs> exactly um well um fi one final thing i want to talk about um with um void trip is um i asked on twitter for uh, for people to say if they had any questions and um someone on twitter came back to us uh, jose cardenas is um he's a, a fr friend of the show uh, he's no way no way ho at no way jose card uh, on uh, on twitter he asks um of you both really is um what do you find unique about road trip stories and what kind of settings or situations do you plan to explore um what's up jose uh, thanks for the question uh i like road trip stories from my end because uh they don't rely on typical storytelling conventions as much you know you don't need the rise the fall you don't necessarily need uh, antagonists even you can just have the world be an antagonist although we have got one so maybe scratch that <laughs> yeah I, I just like that it gives you a lot of freedom you know even, even I mean the whole concept of a road trip usually is freedom uh, and from a creative standpoint to have that freedom is amazing you're not restricted in any way that's also a double-edged sword. If you're, not, if you're not restricted, you can go off the deep end. But uh, yeah, I like I like the freedom aspect of it. That's I don't think that other other genres, if we can call road trip stories a genre, uh, really have that. Not in the same way, anyway. Yeah, and along the same line for me, it's uh, being out on the open road. You know what it uh, symbolizes for me is just not being confined to sort of the nine to five uh, box that we kind of all have to conform to in order to keep a society going. So it's, it's sort of stepping completely out of convention and uh, just seeing if you can survive and live life without the, the roadmap that's been laid before you and just sort of like following whatever way the wind blows. And I, I think, uh, I think we need a lot more of that in, in modern times, especially with how everything's becoming more and more, uh, you know, computer driven, everything could become just a automated script and we could all just become humans that are following whatever, you know, whatever, whatever's planned from, from birth to, to, to old age. Uh, I mean, everyone has that spirit when they're, I think a teenager to sort of rebel against the system. And then we all slowly get absorbed into it. Um, but what I like about a good road trip story is it's sort of like, um, trying to tear down the wall one brick at a time. And so, you know the, the 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 characters have complete freedom to just go wherever do whatever they're not being confined and then of course the outside world mm. pushes back in and i think that's that's the kind of the beauty of it in a way really is the idea of you know the cynical part of you if you see someone you know you see these characters on a road trip and it, it might even be true um, of the characters themselves to begin with is this idea that if they're on the road they're escaping from from something or they're running away from something you know in some road trip stories they're they're literally running away from from a past that is kind of you know yeah. haunting them um but uh, but you know obviously along the way it it becomes more about being on this journey it becomes more about the actual the journey itself uh, rather than you know i have to run from a to get to b you know it's everything in between that that becomes the story and it becomes about about the idea of of running not running from or running to but just but just of but just running you know and i think that's that's going to be an interesting um an interesting facet to explore in void trip and in this in this kind of world that you're you're creating around these two characters hope so man but uh... <laughs> Yeah, Thanks, no, yeah, I re really appreciate it. Now, um, I, I've got a note on the bottom of my... I like to write notes to myself so I, I can uh, remember to ask kind of questions and remember to touch on certain points that I, uh, I thought about. Uh, completely unrelated to Void Trip, um, I've got in uh, in stars. Talk to Ryan about Junji Ito. <laughs> Because I read, uh, I read the, uh, I read uh, it's from from me. I read okay. the panel panel by panel the. Um, the awesome new periodical that uh, Hassan Osman Elhao is, uh, yeah. is releasing and you wrote a piece in there about Junji Ito I did. Um, and I, I, wrote, I read that um, last week um, when I was uh, on holiday I went to, went to North Wales on holiday with my wife and we got caught in a storm and we were kind of um, bound in, like we were kind of confined to the cottage for a whole night and I, um, and I sat and I read your, um, 
I read your, uh, yeah. your kind of your recommendation for Junji Ito, and I instantly went out and and read uh, Uzumaki. Yeah. Um, and I read it from start to finish, and it absolutely terrified me. So thank yeah, you for it that. It seemed like the <laughs> in worst the first possible part. environment to read it in. When <laughs> it absolutely in. was. It's a good yeah. thing to read Goyo because that literally starts with a couple trapped in a storm. Like, <laughs> really, does it? I'm going to have to read that now. Yeah, uh, I just, I just wanted your, wanted your thoughts on it, really, because I, I mean, I Junji Ito's kind of been a, a creator, and uh, his horror manga has been on the on the peripheries of my kind of understanding. And I've read, I've read one of his short stories, which yeah. is um, about the the people walking to the into the mountain. Oh yeah, that one. Um, and um, I think that did the rounds on the internet for a, a little while ago. You know, everyone was passing it around, and it was yeah, it was, was fantastic. There was a picture of I think Donald Trump at a wall somewhere, touching a hole, and then everyone was like posting that uh, story everywhere. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so I just uh, just kind of wanted to you know see what other what the you know what what makes you love Junji Ito and like what um, you know what what kind of attracts you to him as a as a creator really. Well, I was reading Junji Ito because. I was doing some horror comics, uh, a horror comic called The Evil Within for Titan, and mm. I wanted to sort of acclimatise myself with you know, the sort of the horror comics that exist to give me an idea of how uh, how to go up putting it together. Um, yeah, to completely undermine what I said before about not taking influences, I was absolutely taking influences. <laughs> and that was that was my plan all yeah, along. I caught you in your own trap. You <laughs> yeah, and what I learned from it was. Um, Oh, there's so much to unpack. Um, I think Hass is probably going to mm. do a video on it if he hasn't already sort of unpacking it in, his, in the way he does. But yeah, there's so much. Yeah. Um, how the story starts with the fear of the unknown, then the fear of the physical, then the fear of the, the wider application. Because one thing that Ito does really well is every time the horror reveals itself, it becomes horrific in a new way. You know, it starts off by being this scary thing you can't see, and then it's now it's the scary thing you can see and the implications of that. So mm. it's just it's phenomenal, and I think, as I said before, about comics not allowing the reader to have much imaginative input in, in the experience of reading a story. Horror comics, especially Ito stuff, really does because with Uzumaki, you're constantly wondering why are these spirals here? What caused this? Like all the way through, and yeah. I'm not going to spoil it in case anyone hasn't read this comic that is absolutely ancient, but that's not even the point. But the fact that he yeah. caught you asking that and he engaged you with it because of that was was really great. Yeah, but I mean, he just he just really um it really touched me. It was it's typically horror comics aren't scary. Usually, when you hear of a horror comic, especially a Western horror comic, it's just an adventure story with a horror aesthetic. But this was literally mm. terrifying. Um, there's a lot yeah, of body, there's a lot of body horror in it, a lot of grotesque stuff, and that gives you a gut reaction. You know, the Uncanny Valley stuff it gives you a gut reaction with it being gross, but. I think then he builds on that with genuine, genuinely terrifying storytelling and really decompressed as well, because the thing with horror is it has to be to told slowly to work. Um, mm. And it gets to a point where you're expecting a, a scary thing on every page turn. Then he, then he, you know, once that becomes established, he changes his track. So it's the way he constantly adapts how he terrifies the reader that makes it great because it's unpredictable. But yeah, Junji Ito, mm. Uzumaki, Goyo, Tomi is the other one. I haven't read that, but it's on the on the to read list. But yeah, he's. Yeah, it's great. Well, you you started me down a, a terrifying road now, so uh, well, I've just, got more. Uh, There's more mangaka that I could point you at if you want to check them out. Really? Um, let, well, let me ease me in gently. I'll start I'll start with you, and I'll, I'll work there. Don't don't throw me in the deep end too, like too quick. I know. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Um, but uh, well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you both. Um, you both really um, fascinating guys. You you've produced a really a really great comic uh, with Void Trip, um, and um, it's it's out this week. Uh, this is uh, this will be going up on uh, Monday twenty third. Um, as we as we uh, as you listen to this, um, so Void Trip number one is out by Image Comics. It's coming out on October the twenty fifth, uh, which is this Wednesday. November the twenty fifth. Yeah, oh, is it November twenty second? Oh, well, I'm, I'm absolutely yeah. lying. Sorry about that. Want to go in and order it on October the twenty third? They're welcome to. Ah, that you can pre-order it. That, that was help. it. I knew it was something to do with uh, October twenty fifth. Uh, well, yeah, you've got you've got a long way to wait. Then, yeah, I feel I feel for people that can't see you know Hitch's uh, story unfold. <laughs> but um, but uh, for for those that um, want to know more about you guys, um, where can they find you and your work on the internet? 
best place for me is unfortunately probably on Twitter. It's twitter.com forward slash Ryan O'Sullivan. Just all one word. Um, I had a website, but I couldn't be bothered. So just the Twitter will do for now. So yeah, find me on Twitter, follow me, at me. If you can find me on Facebook out of the many Ryan O'Sullivans, by all means, jump in there. At some point, I'll probably have a website because, you know, career. <laughs> but yeah, for now, Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Plaid Klaus on everything. So P-L-A-I-D... K-L-A-U-S for like Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. But it's kind of a one-way conversation. I, I tend to mostly just post stuff out and throw images. So if you like see my drawings, just follow me. I'll post my drawings. Cool. Well, brilliant. Yeah. Well, uh, as I say, thanks a lot then, guys. Uh, it's been uh, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you. And um, I'd love to you know speak to you again in the future once uh, once we've got some more issues of Void Trip yeah, under our belts. Maybe even when the trade's coming out, you can see the whole thing. You can hear yeah. all of Hitch's story, you know. Ah, oh, you guys, don't tease me. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, thanks, man. Thank you very much. Appreciate really it. appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thanks, man.